Hey, everybody. Welcome to Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. Thanks for tuning in today. This is the podcast where we invite you, the listener, to text the questions in that you happen to have um, about all things spiritual, particularly related to God, maybe the Bible, maybe Christianity, maybe to Jesus, maybe how it just kind of makes sense and intersects in your life. The way you do it is pretty simple. You just text 815-314-0363. We give you that one more time, 815-314-0363. Or if you happen to be joining us live on Facebook right now, you can post your questions in the comments section there as well. My name is David Gadini here in the studio today with Andrew Metcalf, Steen, Steve Wells, Steen, uh, Steen Wells, Steen Wells, Steen Wells is here, and Kent Jones <laughs> producing. <laughs> Steen Old We're going to go with it, Steen. Yeah. Is there anyone named Steen? I want to find that out. <laughs> How would you spell that? How do you spell that, Steen? E-E-N? Yeah, probably, if it's a name. Otherwise, it's... Um, Otherwise, it's Stein, yeah. Stein. <laughs> Stein or you Wells. could go with S-T-E-A-N, which would be a little odd, too. It's an alternate <laughs> but then spelling you... of the Swedish word stone. Well, look oh, at that. Hey, look at stones. that. Stone. <laughs> Then you start getting into like stain yeah, country, stain. Yep. you know, means stone or castle. Oh, castle's better. I like that. You like castle over stone. Yeah. 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 All right. So you never know what the you're things learn you learn. Yeah. Show. <laughs> like a mighty fortress. Oh, God. Mighty. You have that tattoo, don't you? I do. Yeah. The whole, all like eight verses. All eight verses. <laughs> and then I had <laughs> two columns installed on underneath the skin that's like Bluetooth, and you press a button and it starts playing. <laughs> playing a pipe organ. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but only in your head, right, Steve? Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, just for you. Welcome, new co host, Steen Wells. Oh, S T E A N. Okay. Well, we have had. Um, how did you put this earlier, Kent? An unusual amount of swelling in the inbox going on. The questions have been piling in the last couple of weeks. It's the nature of the show. Sometimes we get bombarded with a bunch of questions at one time, and other times they pace out evenly. But we're sitting here with uh, a few pages, literally uh, bullet-pointed, of questions that have been coming in. Mm -hmm. Some are leftovers from the worship episode that we did last week, but a lot of others are just across the bat. And uh, Andrew was actually mentioning hypnosis earlier today. I think he's going to try to hypnotize either me or Steen today. Steen. And, uh, yeah, Steen has been hypnotized before. <laughs> Maybe we can hypnotize you into your alternate personality of Steen. Well, I've been hypnotized into Madonna. Into Madonna. <laughs> oh. <laughs> just want to let you know so, do you have video on that that's that's the main question it probably is and i haven't seen it yet but yeah i, I went to a uh a, a school that was just outside of lincoln nebraska it's called milford and like it like an mcc like a community college went there for surveying and cad okay, okay. so you're gonna do like well working with streets and measurements and all that stuff well then GPS came out, and I realized I was going to be making eight bucks an hour. <laughs> I'm like, well, I've had enough of this. However, my experience was they had, like, diesel mechanics there, John Deere, yeah. very rural area. And so I was a little bit out of my element there, probably. And so they had a, 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 a hypnotist come in. And so I agreed. Like especially as, for as you, a part of like education. as as oh. just like a as just like a <laughs> like he's talking to his academic advisor. <laughs> like it's like assembly you know, you it's most people have an advisor, but you know, yeah, right. it was entertainment. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to hypnotize. Go to that school. <laughs> it was the longest two years of my you life. You will pay. <laughs> Nobody. So I agreed. You know, it was like an assembly. You know, for fun. Yeah. And so he hypnotized me. I was Madonna, and I did like a virgin in front of that entire audience of corn-fed. 
diesel mechanic, John Deere driving. <laughs> yeah, there's so truck. video on that somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Had a lot of friends and a lot of enemies after that. <laughs> I refuse to ever get hypnotized. Good time. I'm not even risking it. I you know? knew exactly what I was doing. I just didn't care. So, so maybe that's what hypnotism. hypnotism yeah, yeah. Is. Everyone, everyone thinks it's like some mind control kind else. of thing, and no, it's not. I, yeah. I totally knew what I was what I was doing, but I just didn't. Maybe I was in more in a relaxed state. I don't know. I don't know. Right. I don't claim. All right. Know. Anyway. That's my story about hypnotism. Andrew, I think we have like I a, see, do we need to start a whole off field of vision one? that's opening, you know, of like things that we can concoct in the future with Steve at FOF, you know? <laughs> let's like, let's see what we get Steve to do with the hypnotist. I know. There wasn't even a hypnotist. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. It was a cafeteria lady. <laughs> we just got up on the table and started dancing. I don't know. Pay attention to my tongs. <laughs> Well, I feel like we've already delved into this, so now we have to go with the question. Yeah, just hit it, it. Right? Uh, do you believe hypnosis is real? <laughs> Steve does. <laughs> or are hypnotists just kooks? Can what? people be hypnotized? Is it a sin and or an evil <clears throat> practice to put someone under or to be put under yourself? Yeah, let's uh can we can we maybe deal mostly with the last section of that? I mean, yeah, you know, we get the questions a lot on this show about people in all kinds of shall we say spiritualists and other kind of mediums and hypnosis has had a history where it more or less rubs up against that or, or was thought of in that way. Yeah. I'm sure there's some kooks out there, but there seems to be a lot of evidence too, that it works as well. But I think to the point we made earlier, the mistake people have is that it's not mind control. It's not like you're getting possessed. It's not like somehow, uh, you know, you're unaware in, in the way that it gets kind of dramatized in Hollywood where someone snaps their fingers and suddenly you know, paradigm shifts have happened, but it's it's more about just, I think, relaxed suggestibility. Um, some seem susceptible to it. Others don't. Um, my brother, you know, who does the show, swears that he can't be hypnotized, you know, but that doesn't surprise me either, you know, because he's bullheaded and obstinate and, <laughs> and, and you know you are and take it as a compliment, right? <laughs> so, uh, I but think is you it, have to allow yourself to be, to yeah, be led into yeah. that state. And some people have more suggestible personalities or more compliant, I think, personalities or at times. But whether it's a sin to get hypnotized, no, it's like a lot of things in life. It's not de facto a sin to get hypnotized. It's just simply, why are you getting hypnotized? What is the effect of you getting hypnotized? And you are not let off of your culpability because of your you know, hypnotism. So certainly, I think there's always a certain danger in, in giving and in, in trusting yourself to someone else in an altered state of consciousness. So do you trust the person? Um, but I would say that's the same with drinking, mm -hmm. right? Um, who are you drinking around? Do you trust the people? And, and are you going to such a level and state where you will end up doing things that you will later regret? You got to kind of ask those questions and be careful of that. But, but by its own factor, no, I think it can be used very positively in the right way with the right people. Is that covered, Andrew? I think so. All right. And if you are a hypnotist, please text on the show. We would actually like to talk to you a little bit and uh, and see what you can do with Steven. Yeah, come some on episode, in. Come you know, on maybe with all of us. You know, see how I, questions goes that one. When I used to smoke, you know, you you go through all of these different things to try and get yourself off of the cigarettes, right? You yeah. Know, so you did you do you did not did you no, go ahead? I'm but I, off. No, that's Is okay. That, yeah. I knew where you were going with that. So <laughs> I would say like, it, there's always those opportunities to you know you see the billboard or whatever and it's like oh you i can get hypnotized and i can quit smoking yeah so i thought about it at one time yeah. but didn't yeah so 
anyway, if we do have a hypnotist out there, I, I would be willing to start smoking again. <laughs> you would do that. You take one for the team, Steve. <laughs> Steve commented online here. Not this Steve, different Steve. I bet there is still a secret word that will make co-host Steen sing again. <laughs> I think we should test that out on Sunday. I know. Just random words of snaps, you know. In the middle of your sermon, just kind of slip it in, see, see right. what happens. It was so. like a virgin, so if you do, it'll be a phrase touch for the very first time. You don't want that happening. <laughs> Uh, that is a really <laughs> weird sermon. I'd like to see where Dave goes with that. <laughs> so ridiculous. I'm so glad I don't. I don't really know Madonna or what she did or yeah, music videos or songs. Time, isn't so it? I don't yeah. have a mental image of Steve trying to reenact it, which is very nice. <laughs> well, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we got? Yeah, let's jump into a couple kind of leftover ones from last week. Not leftovers. You are still important. You're not a leftover. But uh, didn't ones we, we didn't, didn't get to. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. I grew up going to a church, Church of God, non-instrumental. Um, and they said it wasn't right to use instruments in church. Mm-hmm. But most churches I go to now do. How come? So there is a denomination called Church of God, non-instrumental. And I always thought that that was like some deeper theological meaning behind it, but it literally means that they don't use instruments in worship. Um, So there's Church of God, but then another faction of the Church of God called Church of God Non-Instrumental. And the reason that they um, insist on this, I guess you can say, is they take an approach to the Bible that more or less says you only do in practice what it explicitly says you should do in practice in worship. And because in the New Testament, because, you know, you got to cancel out the Old Testament. We're not under the Old Testament. So all its mentions of instruments and, you know, praise the Lord with, you know, you know, the clashing of gongs and stuff like that. Well, because it doesn't say to specifically use it in the New Testament, we're not going to use it in New Testament style worship. So That's it's a very, and, and, and again, with no disrespect meant to those in this denomination, but I just think it's off. Um, it, it, it's a very wooden way of practicing the Christian life along new, uh, along new Testament lines, uh, going beyond what I think the new Testament is meant to do. Mm-hmm. And look, if, you know, I mean, we can explore other reasons that there might be virtue and value in it, but to make it a thus saith the Lord is I think which gets somewhat dangerous or let's just say it wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Cause I would think that in general, my, my knowledge of more like, I would call this like a fundamentalist church, if you will, or, you know, very conservative, it seems like body that generally, I feel like they pull a lot of their theology and beliefs from the old Testament. So it's it's interesting that, that this church is kind of, I don't want to say ignoring the old Testament, but focusing more on the new Testament. Cause I feel like generally that's in your more contemporary churches. You know, you would think so, but it, it's, it is strange among what you would consider many of the fundamentalist Protestant congregations as they exist mm-hmm. today. Um, uh, uh, they, they travel along this line called like the holiness movement, so mm-hmm. to speak. And they are pretty universal in having a, a hermeneutic or an interpretive approach where they base themselves strictly on the new Testament, not saying that the old Testament isn't the word of God, but it's almost like either a, we don't know what to do with it or B it's kind of been 
abrogated so we, we don't pay attention. I, I've mentioned this multiple times on the show before, but my wife grew up in that kind of church. Not Church of God, not instrumental, but in, in a fundamentalist holiness movement church. It was a branch off the Mennonites, and they were a strictly a cappella church. They didn't give theological rational, uh, rationalization for why you shouldn't use an instrument, but it came more out of that that holiness movement with a leaning towards simplicity um, and asceticism, which often goes hand in hand with it. And it was just uh, part of their expression of remaining humble, broken, repentant, adopting that simple life, if you will, that you think of among Mennonites and, you know, Amish, most specifically, that came out in their worship life as well. And if that's, hey, if that's how you want to worship and where you're meeting God and how it speaks to you, then praise God for that and and praise him with all your voice, right? And, and, and sing it heart and soul. I think it's just wrong, though, when it becomes an imposition thing that this is the only way to do it or a thus saith the Lord way of doing it. So was you know? there any snapping clapping no no so no rhythm I, every every church is going to do it slightly different <clears throat> i'm sure but you know her congregational world there would be a worship leader who was not on stage he was just sitting in a pew he would have a mic so you could hear him and he would just start singing the hymn and then you would sing along and it tended to be more two or four part harmony singing um you know Men singing one, women singing another, depending on the register of your voice. Maybe you're doing more of the alto or the soprano, you know, and mm. stuff like that. And, you know, you just pick the stuff up culturally and you figure it out and you roll with it. No, and it's it's admittedly, it, it's it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It, it could be pretty bad, too. Sure. But... <laughs> Yeah, and that's true anywhere. I mean, oh, I mean, you could look at the modern contemporary movement, and I mean, there's nothing worse in this world than a bad contemporary worship service, right? I mean, it just, you ever want to see God weep? Or laugh. Or laugh. Yeah. I even think of that growing up as a kid, like, Whoa. when you're picking picking <clears throat> your, your pew or your row in church, I wouldn't say there were people you avoided sitting next to, but... I enjoy singing and singing in pitch. And if someone is right behind me that has zero <laughs> like sense of pitch, blasting it, I'm right? like, I can't, I don't know how to do this. See, I'm the opposite. I would love to have that person sitting behind me just because then I would chuckle a little bit. You know, like, this is great. <laughs> God can use anyone. And I'm between the two. I would love for us to do what's just called off-key Sunday. Mm. And it's like 90% of you here are afraid to even open your mouth in a song, Right. Just sing something. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how off key it is. I don't care where it goes. Just say something, mm-hmm. you know, and let it be a offering to God. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the cool things. My my mom was very musical, very good singer. My dad has zero sense of pitch at all. Mm. He just cannot do it. Yeah. Save his um, life. Right. But he was still singing every Sunday, every hymn. Mm-hmm. So just a nice example of, okay, I know that. I don't have the best voice, but mm-hmm. I'm still going to use my voice to worship God and set an example for, you know, me as his kid yeah. of like, this is what we do in church. You sing along, even if it doesn't need to be good, yeah. like God knows what's on your heart. So, mm-hmm. that, so that was cool, mm-hmm. but sometimes difficult <laughs> when you're like, ah, can you slide down a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> Face the wall. And that's why Andrew wears headphones in the sound booth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to listen to me and me only. Um, yeah, yeah, but I think it's uh, I don't know. Maybe we should do an all acapella Sunday. You just have to pick a good starting note. Mm-hmm. 
Because if you mess that up, even with happy yeah. birthday, no one can well, say you need yeah. a pitch pipe. <laughs> you gotta at least have a pitch pipe. Or someone going ding 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 yeah. on the keys. Yeah. Does that count as an instrument? And I would say they well, like in, one, in like my wife's no, church, they would often use the pitch pipe mm -hmm. to get them mm -hmm. to get them going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Here's one. Uh I was reading in Romans and it says that we're supposed to be living sacrifices, and that is our spiritual form of worship. Um, and just wondering what that means. So your spiritual act of worship. Yeah, good question. So the predominant form of worship in the early parts of the Old Testament is to present a sacrifice. You would go to the tabernacle or whatever the, the holy site might be, um, and it would usually be something of value to you that was the fruit of your labor. So it would be an animal, maybe if you were into ranching or shepherding or whatever you want to call it in the first, you know, in the you know, 10th century bc world or 20th century bc world or it could be grain or an animal i mean it could be any kind of thing but basically this is important to me this is valuable to me this is a commodity if you will god i'm giving it to you and you can read the first chapters of leviticus to see how it's all stipulated out though it certainly predates leviticus it seems to be a natural uh, pan-cultural way that people have been worshiping in every society and culture um since recorded history is around but you would do one of two things from the biblical point of view. The main way that you would do a sacrifice is you would give the best portion over to God and the rest you would either give to the priests to help support them or you would give to what you would call like the, the, the religious complex to keep it moving that they would also use to distribute to the poor or you would have a big party with it and everyone who was gathering there would share in the remainder of it together. And so it was a very community based type of thing. Now, there was some stipulation for giving the whole thing over to God, a whole burnt offering or a holocaust, as it would get called. And by the way, as an aside, that's why Jews who lived under the Third Reich referred to what they had to endure as a holocaust, because they interpreted it as we are being given up as a whole burnt offering to God, so to speak. Um, but you would burn the whole thing in that point. And it was like the most extreme form of sacrifice because I'm getting no benefit out of it. There's nothing that I get to enjoy. So it would almost be the difference today between someone bringing like money to a church and the former would be, okay, this money is going to kind of support what we're doing together and keep the the machinery of the church running and, and we'll share in like maybe a, a fellowship meal that some of this money will be used for where the Holocaust would be if we like lit up the grill and everyone would bring their money in and we would just burn it. And it would be a way of saying, God, this is just a, a symbol of our trust in you. It looks like waste, but it's a whole burnt offering to you. So that's the basis behind this. And what Paul does is based on the prophets and, and the later development of the Old Testament is he says, what God really wants is you. God wants your life. God wants your heart. What's more important to God, as the prophets will say, is mercy, not sacrifice. Micah will put it this way. And what does the Lord your God seek? Seek justice, do mercy, and walk humbly with your God, right? And, and you see that variation a thousand different ways throughout the Old Testament. So Paul's picking up on that, and he says, now in Christ, what is the kind of worship that God really wants? Does he just want songs and prayers? No, he wants something deeper than songs and prayers. He wants you giving your life to him. You become the sacrifice. How do you say, God, my life is now your life. My dreams are your dreams. Uh, my will is now your will. Let your will be done. And that's what he's getting at. Give yourself to God. Yeah. So <clears throat> leads me to another thought, which is 
you know, when I always heard burnt offerings, I thought, well, God likes his meat well done. Yeah. Yeah. Very well done. That's why I always thought like steak tartare yeah. and sushi, that's sinful. Yeah. Should not Absolutely be rare is evil, right? Yeah. Right. I've had beef tartare. It's very weird. Yeah. It, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't it's good either. Right. I think it would no. be amazing though, like to go to what we call church back in that day. And it's just basically a 24 seven barbecue. Yeah. Going on. But you don't get to eat any of it. No, you do get you to eat could. a lot of it. Yeah, it that depends, was our you know? uh, yeah. our table dinner over at Brandt's the other night. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was all so offering much, burnt offerings, so and... much burnt <laughs> beef tips. Yeah, I mean, the, these things were incredible. <laughs> and then we had some sort of try, try some. What it was a try, try, try tip. tip. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't no know. Clue, never even heard. <laughs> but it, it was something. good. Yeah, it was sitting yeah. on a table, just kind of beckoning to be eaten. So, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. We have another one here kind of about sacrificing and food sacrifices. Uh, are Christians supposed to avoid food sacrifice to idols? Paul says one thing against against it in 1 Corinthians, what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. And then later he says it's okay. Uh, eat whatever without raising a question. Jesus says something against it in Revelation, but I have a few things against you. In parentheses, eating food sacrificed to idols. Um, so there's not really a question, but I guess comment on that. So, yes yeah. or no? Bottom line, because <laughs> I mean, this is one that we're all facing here today, right? Yeah. Uh, but I will circle on that uh, in a surprising way. Should we eat food sacrificed to idols? This was a big first century issue. And as the uh, the listener is pointing out, you seem to get different answers if you take different parts of the Bible in isolation. The longest extended argument you're going to find for this is 1 Corinthians 8 through chapter 10, where Paul kind of takes you on this journey. Romans 14 also factors in pretty importantly, and I'll put Revelation aside for right now. It depends, and it depends on the effect it's having on the people around you. Paul's basic point is that I know that these idols that this meat or food is sacrificed to are just fabrications. They really don't exist. The gods who who are supposed to stand behind them are fake. This whole thing is a joke. I don't have to be afraid of some piece of stone or some piece of wood that's been carved into some kind of image that people bow down to. So who gives a rip what was sacrificed to it because it's really meaningless and purposeless, right? However, some people don't see it that way. Some people might see you eating food sacrificed to idols who believe that these idols are real or powerful mm -hmm. or have some kind of deeper connection and be tempted by permission, so to speak, to go, it really doesn't matter if you're devoted to God alone, kind of worship whatever God you want or serve whatever God you want or do what's ever expedient or mat no matter what God it happens to be attached to. And Paul says in that case, I would never eat meat again if it would cause my brother or sister in Christ to think that way. Because there is this absolute sense of, of, of devotion and monogamy to God alone, to Yahweh alone, that you see throughout the Bible. So eating food sacrificed to idols, Paul says, isn't breaking that because it's nothing. But if someone perceives it that way, I've got to love them enough that I won't cause them to fall. And that's the navigation point. Yeah. Now, Revelation will use that entire metaphor as a way of compromising with the world. And I don't want to take the literalness away of the issue because basically in the first century world, unless you were raising your own meat, the way you would get most of your meat is you wouldn't go to a grocery store. 
you would go to the local temple market because as people would bring their sacrifices in, they would eat portion and then they would sell the rest. And that's how you would basically support, you know, the temple. So imagine if you went into like, you know, Walmart or Meyer or Kroger or whatever your kind of grocery store of choice is, and all of this meat would have been sacrificed to, you know, pick your God of choice, right? To, to Zeus or Apollo or, you know, Artemis or whoever it would happen to be. And you can see how that might raise some questions of conscience, right? <clears throat> That's kind of the issue that these first Christian, these, these first century Christians were facing. Do, do I need to become a vegetarian? Is it okay to eat this meat? Um, what if I don't know, you know, so I don't look too deeply into it and just kind of play naive and just buy it? What if I do find out? Am I obligated to find out? And that's kind of the mess Paul is cutting through there. Yeah, I think we see a little of that today, not in regards to being sacrificed to idols, but just kind of the like, oh, I want to track where this food came from. <clears throat> like, oh, was this cow raised in like free range? And I want to know what it was fed its whole life and all this stuff. So it's like, yeah. You're tracking that history of what you're getting so you know what you're getting. Yeah, you will see it like on two tracks. One is like the ethical treatment of animal track. And the other is the values and morals of maybe the food processing company that is behind it, regardless of how the animals might be treated. But it does change the debate and the conversation a little. I don't think they're quite equated because yeah. – Truly, ethical treatment of animals is a biblical concept. These are creatures of God, and you will find throughout the Old Testament law that while you can eat them, there are things you can't do to them on ethical lines, right? So that is somewhat of a more moral absolute than being sacrificed to a fictitious idol, mm -hmm. if you will. And that's where I think the answers wouldn't quite be the same. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah hope, hopefully that helps. And another one here on, I, I believe we touched on this a little bit last week, but I just want to make sure we answer it fully. Uh, my friend is Catholic and said her priest said that the liturgy goes all the way back to the time of Jesus. I don't see that in the Bible. Am <clears throat> I missing something? Yeah, you I think will. we touched on it a little bit last week. And you will hear that a lot um, from, from Catholic, you know, radio hosts or theologians or whatever it happens to be. Um, this, is, this is kind of the trick to it. It depends how you define the term liturgy. Because I don't know about you, but when I hear the term liturgy, I kind of think of like the full hour-long church service with all of its like moves and trappings and like robes and candles and, and sights and smells and sounds and stuff like that. And that certainly does not go all the way back to the time of Jesus. But when you, you, you kind of bore down into Catholic theology, what they're actually referring to by the liturgy here is one of two things. The tradition handed on by the apostles, which, if the tradition is accurate, well, by default, of course, it would go back to the time of Jesus, right? Or more specifically, when it's being talked about in relation to worship, what they're often talking about is the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. And that certainly does go back to the time of Jesus. I mean, like, like sharing the communal meal together that Jesus instituted with his disciples on what we call Monday Thursday is well, instituted by Jesus himself. Now, does that mean that the way we practice it today is the same? No. Does it mean all the things we embellish it with today are the same? No. And if you were to take the way that we do communion today in any church and go back to the time of Jesus, I think they would look at you strangely like, what are you doing? But the essence of what it is, 
is truly right out of the New Testament and all four gospels and Paul and Jude and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, even just thinking about the specific like LCMS Lutheran liturgy, it, you know, they came out with the new what Lutheran service book, probably like eight, 15 years 10? ago. No, nah, it's getting old, man. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's ready for an update. Means you know? I'm getting old, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the new one is, yeah, they updated old. that they changed wordings, you know, move pieces around other things like that. So it's like, that's a, I think a, a constantly evolving thing yeah. based on the, the times as either people have new revelations of scripture or other, I don't want well, to it's say, more revelations, just, but like, it, it, it's, it's a more new message, cultural a new preferences and, yeah. and practices, just like what, what's speaking to people and how does it work and where are people at and what just kind of flows nicely. Can we come you out know? with an FOF service book? Would you like that? I think so. Would, would we have to follow it every week? No. No? Okay. It would just, we'd make it, it have, and then shelve it. It would have like blank pages in the back that we could <laughs> add new. CPH would probably pick that up. New yeah, service yeah. goes into In a heartbeat, it. right? Yeah. Go down there and make a case for it. <laughs> Steve's got a pitch. Uh, let me tell Let me show you something. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that I am not... I don't want to say not invested in, but it, it's not something that speaks to me is the, the, I would say the pieces of liturgy that we don't do that often at our church with responsive readings, um, other like fully written out prayers and other things like that. It's like generally that those aren't things that speak to me or impact me. Like I'd rather have something that's more in the context of what we're talking about and okay, we just, you know, talked about government for the sermon so let's pray for the government like rather mm -hmm. than well it says we have to pray for this in the hymnal so we have to do that yeah and like i i don't know that that has always seemed weird to me of that it's almost giving you here's your topic just because it happens to be what is in that day and it's like i don't know that that is you know allowing us to fully embrace the spirit in our time right now and that is always, I think, the difficulty and the shortfall. But, you know, I love to play devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm purely going to play devil's advocate right now. But this is the flip side to it and, and maybe the positive or the value to it. And, again, we're talking liturgy as it exists today and its full embellishment mm -hmm. and form and, and, and things like that. <clears throat> it's the same concept as a franchise. <clears throat> you know, if you were to open a McDonald's franchise – they would insist that you use certain products and certain marketing materials and run your store in a certain way. And the reason behind it is quality control. And you got to remember that throughout the history of the church, a, a lot of times religious leaders in churches, just they popped up or it was just some guy with a pulse. Uh, it, there wasn't necessarily a lot of training. And so it was always meant to be that quality control so a local church wouldn't get off the rail. Because no matter what harebrained thing this guy is talking about, at least you have it foiled against this entire thing that's been developed and tested, if you will, and mm -hmm. good. And the other danger is that it's really easy when you go freeform, like we do, is to just talk about the stuff that's interesting to you. Mm -hmm. And what a liturgy or a liturgical pattern will do is force you into a greater counsel of God, because it'll force you to kind of Read passages you don't really care much about. Pray about things you don't really find much interest in. Sing, sing songs in such ways that 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 you know maybe we're all like uh, you know celebration, but but where's lament fit in? You, you know stuff like that. Yeah. And so it's always meant to kind of give a greater picture of the Christian experience. But again, I know what you're saying, Andrew, because the problem is it can become so either wooden or rote or lifeless 
that the very thing it's intended to do becomes, uh, it, it has the opposite effect. Yeah. And I think it can, to play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. <laughs> yeah, a lot of devils. There, it, even with the, uh, the, the liturgy or the, um, what is the, the three year or the one year? So they're called lectionaries yeah, and they're lectionaries. basically, for those who don't know what a lectionary is, is it's just, it, it's a Bible reading plan. And they have the common ones are one year and three years. And it's how do you get through a good cross section of the Bible in a year or in a three year cycle? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even, even with those, while well, they're, you know, supposed to give you that, that greater picture of, of God and cover. I mean, obviously people spend a lot of time picking out what those readings are going mm -hmm. to be. You're still picking a selection of what youth, what they thought was the yeah. best way to convey these things. So it's like, yeah, that's no different than what, I would say anyone is doing nowadays at a church of going, okay, what do we think is going to be the aspect of God that we want people to understand? And how do we want to talk about it? And those types of things. So it's like a group of people the sat danger, and did it yeah. and decided yeah. that, and that was their idea of what was either good and right or the best interpretation. These of this are the passages those you have to have. Yeah. Right. So right. why can't we continue doing that process? Yeah. 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 Totally. I hear you. But I, I hear you. and then I go on the other side myself and I've gone in like, you know, saying at nursing homes with youth group or in college or whatever. <laughs> and it's so amazing to see people in their eighties, nineties, dementia, can't remember anything, but you start singing a hymn to them and they can sing every word of it. Mm. So it's like, there is that commonality that, okay, everyone was singing this in their Lutheran church in the fifties. So yeah. everybody knows it. Now, let so me ask you on that. that. And, you know, and I mean this sincerely mm -hmm. because I hear that defense given a lot for like, like the cultural practice. I've seen it happen twice. And, and, and I was going to say, like, I, I have actually never experienced that in my life where yeah. I've been, and, and I've done a lot of nursing home work um, and a lot of hospital work and a lot of bereavement work and not just in the fellowship of faith context, but with mm -hmm. people with, with deep, shall we say, traditional worship backgrounds. Yeah. Not once have I ever seen someone with Alzheimer's start saying the Lord's prayer with me or anything like that. I'm not saying it can't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm sure it has, but it's just like, are we Is really orchestrating the entire yeah. worship life of our congregation? Because just maybe if one person gets Alzheimer's, they might remember it and be able to identify. I mean, well, it's cool if it happens, and but is, yeah. is it, does it have anything to do with the hymn? Or what was what they happened to? Well, for instance, total repetition throughout <laughs> childhood exactly. and life. Yeah. So therefore, yeah. like with our youth today, for instance, if you've grown up in the church and you've been there for ten years now, you've probably heard the song "This Is Amazing Grace." So therefore, by the look of them. So is the same thing going to happen when they get Alzheimer's? <laughs> you know, fifty like years, ninety from now, years old, they're all singing "This like, Is well, Amazing wait a Grace." Minute, yeah. it, it wasn't a mighty fortune. <laughs> like, we don't have it was, a sense. "This Is what Amazing Grace." So yeah, like, right, yeah, right. It's true, right. All right, we're top yeah. of the hour. You got it, Kent? Yeah, speaking of rote, uh, you're listening to... <laughs> Here's our liturgy for the podcast. <laughs> you're listening to 216. This is questions you never thought you could ask in church. Uh, and why wait till church? If you text 815-314-0363, you can text a question 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And every Wednesday right here, 1230 Central, we go live with this show. Uh, and if you're out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can catch past uh, past shows and whatnot. If you go out to our good friends at fellowshipoffaith.org and go to the FOF Plus, you can find 
find uh, past shows. You can find last week's, uh, you know, worship hour. If you want to worship with Fellowship of Faith, you can show up in person. You can show up online through YouTube, Facebook, uh, Fellowship uh, FOF Plus uh, at uh, 9.55 a.m. Tune in for the pregame. Great pregame for that. Uh, And then just worship God where you are and how you are. Uh, But we'd love to have you. Or tune in right here, www.216thenet.com. There you go. All right. I have one more worship one, and then I want to move in. We've got a few that kind of tie in worship and prayer together. Um, Oh, no, I just lost where it was. Oh, (laughs) it's uh, gone. I know. How about having uh, one service at FOF where we all wear name tags it helps learn new people's names being known <laughs> is a critical pillar of the church you know i thanks for asking on this i get this one every now and then and have over the um past 20 years of you, you know if you ever have this conversation with me you know i am a kind of an anti-name tag kind of guy especially in church if that's what you do at your church and it works <clears throat> god bless you great here's why i don't advocate for it or don't think it's a good idea or get all excited when someone brings it up A name tag, by virtue of what it is, automatically excludes part of your church. I mean, I guess you can put a table at the door with a Sharpie and a sticker and say, jot your name on it, and everyone could wear it. temporary name tags. Okay, because some churches do like the permanent ones, and you just make everyone stick out who doesn't. But at the end of the day, I, I don't know. It's just weird to me. It's a personal preference, but like when I go to someone's house... Like, do, I don't put a name tag on. When you go to a party, you don't put a name tag on. I, I mean, it feels like it's some, like, chamber mixer from 1962 to me or something like that. I don't know. It, it, it's, <laughs> you, you, you know, it's just, it, it, it feels weird. And if you want to know someone's name, have a conversation with yeah, them and ask, ask them their them. name. Hey. And if you forgot their name, I, I got good news for you. They don't really remember your name either. So just ask them again. It just seems like a complication because people are afraid to have a conversation. So, again, you know, wear all the name tags you want wherever you go, but that's why I don't really want to try to mandate it or or make it a practice. So, Hello, yeah. My name is Steen. Steen. Yeah, my name is Steen. Steen Wells. Yeah. Well, can we trust everyone to write their real name on no. there? No. And not only that, but like my handwriting, you would be able to read it anyway. <laughs> what the? I'm not sure what that says. <laughs> And I'm one that doesn't like to fit in with the crowd anyway, so I wouldn't wear one. <laughs> right. Because I'm like, I, everyone else is wearing one. I don't want to wear one. Like, yeah. I don't want that. I, I do um, want to comment. Yeah. On, I'm looking at the question as it came in. I do want to comment on the last statement. It says, being yes. known is a critical pillar of the church. No, it's not. Jesus would never define one of the key critical pillars of the church as your name being known. Hmm. The key critical pillars of the church are things like salvation by grace through faith. Key pillars of the church are the apostolic witness and testimony. Key pillars of the church are a Trinitarian understanding of God or justification by faith. Key pillars of the church are sacramental practice. I, I, I mean, it, it's a maybe a preference. It's maybe nice. It maybe makes you feel warm. But let's not confuse that with being a key pillar. The church does not rise or fall on whether your name is known. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And give yourself some permission in that. Yeah. And I would think you could say it's, it's more, you know, critical of a pillar of being in community and being in relationship with people. Like then you want your name known, but that 
that goes alongside church. It, it's not the. Eh, I don't even know if it's there. Church. I live in a community, and I don't know most of the people's names, and it doesn't mean I won't help them out. No, but you, but you have people who do know your name. I think that's what this person's thinking about. Like, if you are a loner and you don't have that person, then yeah, you're probably not going to come to a church if no one is ever asking your name or going into community with you. But I don't know that a name tag is going to fix that. But for that, I may just want to come in and not be known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Worship God and get them out. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, maybe I'm in a space where, leave me alone. I need to just be with That's God. That's pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if I'm not wearing a name tag and all of a sudden six people are hitting me with a Sharpie and a sticker. Yeah. I'm like, man. I don't know. I just, I think the less arbitrary things we can do in church that re- that get in the way of like doing things organically and naturally, mm-hmm. the better. And again, if it works for your church, go for it. It's just why I don't perceive, see the need to make it culturally happen at our place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. It could be a gimmick Sunday. We could do name tag Sunday once and make a point out of it and like I'll laugh about it. I don't know. Put a fake name on there and then write a T and an F and then you have to go up to them and write true or false. If that is actually their name. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah. yeah. That, that I could get behind. Yeah. That Okay. I think game then. I think what we know we're doing on Christmas Eve this year. <laughs> there I you like go. That. There you go. <laughs> true or false true name or false. game. Steam? I like it. <laughs> so one uh, transitional one here that, I don't know how to introduce it. It says, how hot would you say Steve Wells is mm. on a scale of one to 10? Well, I, this, this I mean, literally we can, around, in. we can go around the room, but I'll just answer for everyone. 10. <laughs> wow. We even got the sound effects going on today's show. Uh, yeah. 98.6. Yeah. I'm just going off by what, what my wife says, because that's the only person that matters. So. True. And what does God say? God right. thinks you're a 10. God thinks well. I'm a 10. So yeah. is Steve Wells a 10? <laughs> Please comment. 815 314 0363. And if you Facebook. say anything but a 10, well, then you take that up with God. <laughs> you're saying God makes mistakes? Well, he makes perfection. Yes, I have a radio face. <laughs> says the man behind the screen <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, oh my gosh so we got a few on prayer here okay um the bible says if two or more pray together i am with you god is with you does this mean that if i pray alone that you are by yourself well <laughs> i'm gonna be snarky on this one if you pray alone you are by yes. definition by yourself but to the point that you're asking, and I appreciate it because uh, this, this gets confusing, right? At one hand, we'll talk about God being everywhere or the technical terminology omnipresent. is omnipresent. Thank you. Feels like that should be a car, doesn't yeah. it? The omnipresent. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. I think so, we got something there. It's like the Ford Festiva back in the Festiva. 80s. <laughs> but that doesn't mean God is everywhere in the same concentration or the same way. And so let me give two biblical examples as a way to think about it in terms of prayer today. In the Old Testament world, God was omnipresent. But if you wanted to find God, you went to the temple because God resided, his glory resided in the temple in some kind of extra concentrate sort of way. That's that's kind of my language to it, but I think it's a good way of putting it. If you were walking through Palestine in the first century A.D., God was omnipresent, which means he would be in China and India, North America, and everywhere else, right? 
but you would find him more concentrated in the person of Jesus. So Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be. He, he attaches a promise of some kind of presence, if you will, to the community of believers and not just the individual. Does that mean God isn't with you when you're alone? Absolutely not. But does it mean that God has attached a promise that when you do gather with others, he will come and be there in some kind of greater way? Yes, it does. Hence the value of gathering with a community of believers to worship and to pray and to do life together, as opposed to doing a singular, autonomous, individualistic form of spirituality. Okay. No comments? Mm, I don't really know. <laughs> Steve's going to think. I'm just going to say that he's everywhere at all times. <laughs> And that way it keeps me honest and straight. <laughs> That's the no, if I go away from that, then I'm in trouble. I'm so hurt. And so are others. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. As long as I'm not with two people. Don't tell he's me not he's not here. here. <laughs> uh, if I'm doing something bad, I got to make sure I'm, it's all, I'm by myself. Because otherwise he's there. Right? Hey, don't worry, Steve. So, God sees everything, yeah, right? Well, well, right? Well, you just can't be praying together. Oh, that, okay. I guess it doesn't <laughs> gather together. But um, how do you pray when you're frustrated with God's timing for things you've been praying for for a long time? Yeah, it's so brutal. It's so brutal. You just do. You just do. There's uh, there's two passages on prayer that I really like, and they, they hold themselves in tension for me. And one is where Jesus says to treat God like an unjust judge. Treat him like someone who doesn't really care what you're praying about, but by your sheer tenacity of will, you literally weigh him down so God will just give you what you want to shut you up. And that's Jesus' words, not mine, all right? I mean, th th I'm paraphrasing it, but that, that's the <laughs> essence of what he says in the Gospels. It's like your kid who just keeps begging. Like, yeah. Enough already. <laughs> and, and so you, you'll see that stream of thought. Pray that way. But the counter to it is something you'll see in like Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble on like the pagans do, who think that because of their many words that they will be heard. Because the Lord your God knows what you need before you even ask. So when you pray, pray like this. And he just gives, you know, what we think of as the Lord's, excuse me, the Lord's prayer, but a couple of foundational like springboard points or, or focal points that he wants you to kind of be obsessed with. And here's what I kind of find with it. Sometimes it's easy to quit in prayer and you just want to give up and say, who cares? And it doesn't matter. And I'm not being heard and God's not going to listen anyway. And, and does any of this matter to begin with? That's when I got to kind of hear the unjust judge words coming into my life going, no, he wants me to pray tenaciously. But there's other times when I think that by my prayers, I am somehow like saying enough magic words that God is finally going to act or that it's by my display of faith or by my power of my, my good work of prayer that I'm fundamentally going to affect God. Then I got to kind of hear Jesus words on the other side of things whispering in my ear, go, wait a minute, do you trust God? Because I think some people trust the power of their prayer more than they actually trust God who hears and answers prayer. And so sometimes I find I actually have to pray less because I'm getting into my OCD spiral thinking that it's by like my repetition or my power, as opposed to going, wait, God's got this. And I need to just give the anxiety of this over to him and say, Lord, I know you've heard me. I trust this to you. 
So do what the act of faith requires based on not only the prayer, but the place of life you're in with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and I would say too, just, I mean, I guess another analogy of that too would be sometimes we become so laser focused on what we want that we don't even see that he may already be working on this, but we're, we're focused on the, on that narrow, the narrowness of it. And we've become, we have that tunnel vision. We can't, we're not seeing outside of that to see like, well, geez, he is actually doing some of these things. It's not to where I want it yet, but Mm -hmm. maybe it never will be either. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's thy will be done, not my will. Yeah. Right. So that should be a bumper sticker. Yep. I'm going to make it. (laughs) I'm just going to use a Sharpie and write it on people's cars. (laughs) (laughs) Write it on their name. Yeah. On the name tags. Yeah. 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 And then stick it to the car. (laughs) And then stick it to the car. Uh, Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't know. I was, I was generally nervous as a kid to pray out loud in Mm -hmm. front of other people Mm -hmm. with, for that fear of, Oh, I'm not going to be eloquent. I'm not going to use the right words. What if I stumble? What if I don't know how to, you know, end a prayer and just keep going? Um, and that's why I like some of the the different just ways I've learned to pray in my life, like the four prayer that that you introduced me to. It's just like you just say, God for this thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to go into details about because of this reason. And if you could do this, that'd be great. And how about this thing? And let me make he, sure everyone else heard this. Yeah. yeah. Like, somehow he doesn't understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. We got to contextualize this for the Lord. <laughs> okay. Just yeah. so I'm clear, Lord. And just so you're clear. No, we've all been in it, you know, where it's like, it turns into a public service announcement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Lord, please be with, you know, Millie, the aunt of blank and blank, who's at Mercy Hospital in room 332. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> If you want to call her directly, just, here's her number. number. Right? <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that removes that that fear of people as well. Yeah. Like this, yeah. this doesn't need to be a a speech that you're giving in a prayer. Yeah, you can just just pray. You don't even have to justify why you're asking for it. Mm-hmm. Just let it loose. That's yeah. why I, I love hearing hearing the prayers of just children, of kids or youth or whatever, because it is that I'm going to pray for you know, my stuffed animal and for lunch and for my family. Yeah. And it's like, perfect. Yeah. Like do that. Or why, why do we, why do we complicate it? Yeah. Or the guy that is, and I've had this happen in like many men's groups where one guy will finally get up the courage to actually say a prayer and closes out in prayer for the mm-hmm. evening. And they've never prayed in front of out anyone, loud yeah. anyone, yeah. let alone a group of guys, you know, and then they do it and, it may not be eloquent. It may be as rough as anything. It may, you may not even understand what they're saying, but it's like, that is beautiful. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one uh, more. Can, can I ask a question that you can't ask in church? <clears throat> yes. Right. Always. No. So it's a situation that I, I think maybe a lot of people wrestle with. Uh, so I've got a life, lifetime friend, right? 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, through a series of bad decisions, he was found guilty on a couple of felony counts. May end up spending 40 years mm. in, in, so, I mean, basically the rest of his, his life, life yeah. uh, in prison. Uh, and even though I don't agree with the series of bad decisions, this is a guy that I've known. We, we've hung out, watched kids grow together, those type of things. And I struggle with, do I go visit? Do I not visit? Because I don't agree with the decisions he made, my Christian heart says, yeah, forgive and, and be there. And my person heart goes, I don't know if I, <laughs> I want to be associated with that. Sure. So sure. how do you, how do you wrestle with that? 
and where do you go with something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to hold myself back on the blunt answer I want to give because I do think you got to decide that one for yourself. But I mean, I I look at Jesus who associated with the least of these, the most broken of these, the most, you you know, condemnable of these and didn't really care about that association yeah. aspect. But I get it. You know, we, right. people do. You do. Yeah, and and, and did, I, did, I for, did I for 30 years. Right. Yeah. So, And I, I appreciate what Kelly says. You can hate the sin but love the sinner. That's easy to say. That's a good bumper sticker, too. Yeah. And it's a, a good Christian thing to say. But but then you're wrestling with it, man. I mean, yeah. It's like, yeah. And it's a real wrestle. What, yeah. what the, you know. Yeah. And where do you go? And and that, you know, I, I do. I, I sit and pray. I listen. I, you know, I think how, how hot steam is, uh, but but at the same time, all of my Christian parts is forgive him, go be with him, you know. And all of my person part goes, you idiot. Yeah, you don't just separate. That's I, I've been battling this for about two weeks, just trying to figure mm, it out. Yeah, yeah. Digging into scripture, listening to podcast. I mean, things like this, and it. it the answer. <laughs> yeah, where are you at? Yeah. Where are you at? Yeah. yeah. I would be willing to bet that if you went and you went and saw him, yeah. and it's a much different environment when you go into that environment, oh, yeah. you're probably going to, knowing you, you'll probably have a little bit more compassion, and a lot of that stuff will melt away, and you'll see the individual, not the sin. Yeah. Even though it may be difficult for you, but I would I would say, to for me personally, yeah, I mean, it I don't know what you're talking about as yeah. far as like if this was done to you. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. So nor to any of my family. Just yeah. In general. Yeah. Um Yeah, love him. Yeah. And by loving him doesn't mean you have to accept what he did. Sure. But at the same time, like a dude's life is gonna be horrible for forty years, possibly. Yeah. yeah. And he's six nine, so if he's and if there's anything that target, yeah. if there's anything that could change him yeah. in his ways or beliefs or have an impact on him, it's like, well, you be the imitator of Christ. I got that Matthew 25 passage kind of like convicting me even yeah. now, and I'm not, I'm not in your shoes, but let me just read this. Uh, it's a parable Jesus is talking about it, like judgment day where he's separating the sheep and the goats, which are those who are of him and those who are not. And he says to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Oh my gosh, it's like, you know, it gets slapped up the head by that black and white, right? And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or clothe you? When did you, uh, when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And he said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And yeah, I think I hear you, Steve, yeah. Steen. And, yeah. Steen, yeah, Steen. And just offer, if you want someone to go with you, I'd love to go. Oh, yeah. No, I think I'm okay if I were to go alone. Well, I just want to come with you anyway. Right. Yeah, go check it out. Yeah. Rock County Jail. I love the prisons. <laughs> well, I've done, you know, and I've done, you know, I've gone and visited people I mean, prison ministry mm-hmm. and I've, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I've, I've had other people in there it's just you know this is this is a dude 30 years and, man it's just mm-hmm. you know i don't know if i'm in shock because of the you know the sentencing or whatever you know the, the 
the verdict or, mm-hmm. or, or it's and probably like, and probably you know, then more yeah. yeah yeah and then i end up putting myself i'm like okay what if i was there you know geez 40 years i'd be yeah. 83 I'd yeah want somebody to, i'd want somebody no it's show, brutal right but, yeah and, you know, we're not going to name drop today. I mean, we don't know the name here in the yeah. studio. Kent, you do, but I'm not going to ask you right. to share the name. But we're just going to ask you if you're listeners and, and uh, you, know, you know, pray for this man. You know, we don't know what those choices were. Yeah. We don't know what got him there. But 40 years in prison is just brutal. I was actually going to yeah. ask for his name and what he did so that we could pray specifically for <laughs> <laughs> What cell he's in. What cell he's in. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so God knows how to reach him. Yeah. <laughs> so we could send him money for, you know. That's right. No, thanks, guys. And it's just, you know, the, the, I know there's a lot of people who sit in church on Sunday probably going through the same same thing. And, yeah. Uh, you know, especially if it's, I mean, this guy's like a brother, but there, there are people who whose kids uh, or parents make those, you know, wrong choices. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a a tough thing. Like I said, the Christian part of me, all of it wants to go, I need to be there for you. Mm -hmm. The human part of me goes, distance yourself. And that's that's the wrestle I have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate it. I've got one here that came in during the podcast today that I just want to get on. I don't know if we'll be able to answer it fully, but uh, it says, as a family that is newer to the church, how can we start to sprinkle our faith into everyday life, not just on Sundays? Yeah. First, great... first listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Which you, you are. are doing. You literally yeah. are. All right. No, it's great having you with FOF. Um, you know, obviously we don't get the names here, so I don't know who we're talking to at, at the moment. But just just great that you found us. And, and more importantly, just fantastic to hear that you don't want to treat your faith like some kind of hobby. Uh, on a Sunday morning or activity, but something that's central and important to you in life. And, you know, there's there's a, f- a few ways I can answer this. You just do. I, I know that's not helpful to hear, but 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 faith is not something that you just hear about. And faith is not just something that you sing a song about. And faith is not something that you just pray in a crowd about. Those are important expressions. But it how, how do I take what I'm singing about, what I'm praying about, and what I'm hearing about on a Sunday morning experience and apply it? That's basically what it comes down to in terms of bringing it into the course of the rest of your life. How do I live out these principles? How do I think more about Jesus and less about myself? How do I turn my heart to kind of find joy in in what his will is rather than what my will is? How do I let the spirit convict me and encourage me in the thousand day-to-day choices I have to make? Now, now Christians for centuries have been doing things to help bolster that because it's easy to say, um, but then we forget to do. Well, the good news is, is the Holy Spirit continues to work in your life as long as you remain open to that and cooperative in that, it's going to continue to develop more and more in you naturally. But for centuries, Christians have been practicing what we call spiritual practices or exercises literally as a way to make intentional efforts to ground themselves in it every day. And this could be anything from like listening to the Bible every day or reading the Bible every day, devotional material, um, focused prayer life every day, acts of service, not just to help someone out, but like with an intentional focus of God, acts of mercy and charity and sacrifice, fasting is something that people do, gathering in other settings and smaller groups, uh, you know, to pray or read the Bible or share life together have all been expressions of this. And I'm just scratching the surface Mm -hmm. right here. Um, At Fellowship of Faith, we do faith training. And it's just one way to give people one window 
to bring Sunday into Monday through Friday. But again, don't mistake that for being the answer. It's a tool to help you just go, how do I do it? So how do you do it with the people you love, right? Because we take the people that we love and live with for granted most of the time. Something's got to kind of switch where you say, I'm going to make this more intentional. And when you do, it becomes more of a focused, concerted effort. And you find that sometimes your proclivities, your interests, and what you spend doing in the day starts being given more to that as opposed to just, oh, woke up, did my thing, went to bed. Mm-hmm. You know, And uh, reach out to me individually. We do a thing at Fellowship of Faith called... Um, it's a mouthful here, but personalized spiritual fitness plans, which is basically the idea of like getting a personal trainer for your soul. And you know what we do is we just sit down and we talk about like, like what are your joys? What are your struggles? What are you learning and reading and growing in? Um, what, what sins are you struggling with? What are the things you're looking for? Um, where are you hungering for God? And, and just try to help you tailor something to a season of life. So reach out to us directly and we can, uh, we can help you with that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <clears throat> well, we are getting the, uh, the, the circle oh, in the sky. Wrap it up. We are a minute over time. Thank you for tuning in today. This is questions you never thought you could ask in church. And if we did not get to your question yet, I assure you it is here in our inbox. We are working through it. we got a lot of great stuff here. We appreciate everything that you're asking, um, the sincerity of it, the uh, uh, just the importance of it. And, and if we can help you on your spiritual journey, what a gift to God to us. So tune in next Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Central Time here on 21.6 The Net or catch us on your favorite podcast provider. Just search questions you never thought you could ask in church or go to fellowshipoffaith.org and click on the FOF Plus page and you can find an archive of past episodes there as well. You can text your questions in anytime to 815-314-0363, 815-314-0363. They will be waiting for us and we'll catch you next week. God bless, guys. Thank you.